Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, Matt Robeson, Beyond Politics. There's so much going on in politics right now, obviously coming off of the Iowa caucuses, heading into the New Hampshire primary. And my co-host, former Congressman Paul Hodes and I, have an area of expertise in New Hampshire. Obviously, Paul was a congressman there for years, a longtime insider in the state. I lived there for six years. I was Paul's chief of staff. I've overseen several political campaigns there. And so we've uh, actually been asked to appear on a bunch of other shows to talk about what's going on in New Hampshire and what it means and what the larger dynamics are not just in the Republican nominating contest, but just what's going on with Trump, how it stacks up against Biden. I obviously wrote about this in Newsweek this week. I think the media is getting this all wrong. And it's not just standard kind of media bashing, which is fun to do. I I do enjoy that. But it's also, I think there are real consequences here. I think they're shaping perceptions in a way that is changing outcomes. I think it's changing the way votes are going to go down and the way the ultimate contest, which is almost certainly going to be Trump versus Biden, is going to go down. So we were asked to appear on our old friend Howard Monroe's radio show. Uh, He comes out of West Virginia. He has an excellent show, really strong throughout the region there. And we were asked to come on and talk about all of that, which we did this morning. We're bringing it to you here. And we're going to have more uh, discussions like this coming up in the podcast feed. Just a quick reminder, thank you to our subscribers. Thank you to the people who have gone in. And you can only really do this in Apple Podcasts, kind of a weird thing. Like you can rate podcasts in all kinds of listening platforms, Spotify, Google, whatever. But only Apple seems to really give you the functionality to write a review. But people who have done that, we really appreciate it. We've gotten a bunch of new reviews. And we're beginning to see it in our data and we're, we're seeing it in the podcast rating sites that are out there and it's it's helping us to move up. So if you got a second, please go ahead and do that. But with that, without any further ado, here's Howard Monroe. We're going to New Hampshire. I was in New Hampshire eight years ago. No, 12 years ago, something like that. And I broadcast the show from New Hampshire for, from uh, the primary at one point. But uh, I think it's budget cuts or something, Bob. Well, also... We're getting old. Well, the Pine Room boys, they get that budget money. Yeah, they get the budget. And, and plus, we're getting old. I don't know if I can make the trip anymore. So instead of uh, going to New Hampshire, I thought we'd bring New Hampshire to us. With us on the uh, phone line this morning is our old friend, Matt Robeson, and a former congressman from New Hampshire, Paul Hodes. Gentlemen, good morning. Welcome to both of you on the program. Good morning, Good Howard. morning. Congressman, uh, our first chance to get together and to meet. Uh, you were a uh, congressman up there in New Hampshire. Um you work with the Obama campaign, among other things. Tell us just a bit about yourself. 
Well, I was a congressman from New Hampshire's 2nd District from 2007 to – I was actually the first congressman from an early state to endorse uh, then-Senator Obama. I was a national co-chair for him and served as a surrogate in the 2008 primary. It was, a, it was to say the least, a very exciting time. And, uh, Matt, you, you were the congressman's chief of staff at one point, right? I was indeed, and uh, during that primary, we stumped all over the state as the Republican candidates are doing now, and I guess as the write-in campaign for Joe Biden is doing right now. And uh, it, it made me intimately familiar uh, in all kinds of ways with the Granite State. Some of I'm picking rubble of granite out of my shoes still <laughs> to this day. Gentlemen, let's talk about what the New Hampshire primary is like, what campaigning is like. You know. Uh, I, I actually was there, so I have a better sense of it. But I often say, you know, all I know about some of this stuff is what I see on television. I mean, I saw the New Hampshire primary through the eyes of the West Wing. Is that the way the primary really is? <laughs> well, that's kind of a it, – it's a, it's a bit of a fantasy. You know, everybody thinks of New Hampshire as this quaint old New England place. And, yes, it's old. It's not quite so quaint anymore, although some places are quaint. Everything's within about an hour or maybe a two-hour drive. So, you know, there's a long tradition of participating in the primary. One One of the important things that people should know is that in New Hampshire, the electorate is split about 30% Democrats, 30% Republicans, and 40% undeclareds or independents who in the primary can pick either a Republican or a Democratic ballot. So that has a lot to do with what happens with the results and a lot to do with the hold-your-breath quality sometimes of what's going to happen in the state. You know, I don't know. Again, image sometimes doesn't match reality. My image has always been that New Hampshireites, New Hampshireans, people from New Hampshire are a little bit more politically astute and aware than maybe the rest of the country. I think there's something to that. Yeah, go, no, go, ahead, go ahead, Paul. I mean, you had to, like, you know, campaign for these people. Yeah, you know, look, I think Granite Staters take the, their politics very seriously. I used to half-joke that it was the state sport. You know, you could talk about any of the sports, but politics really was a full-time occupation. In New Hampshire, the state legislature, the governor's council— and both members of the House of Representatives, everybody's elected every two years. So campaigning and politics is pretty continual. And in New Hampshire, because there are 400 state legislators for a population of 1.3 million people, everybody knows somebody who's serving in political office. And, you know, when I was out campaigning for Congress, People never really knew whether I was going to go to Concord or Washington, and it didn't seem to matter to them either. <laughs> you just were you were just trying to run for something, and, and they this, were happy to talk to you. This is a true story, actually, Howard. My wife, it took several years of marriage and me being a chief of staff for a member of Congress for her to remember the difference between a state senator and a U.S. senator. And she's really smart. <laughs> this is kind of common in New Hampshire, I will say I've always had a little bit of a bee in my bonnet about the New Hampshire primary. 
I do think that it's true. What Paul says is, well, I have to endorse what he says because he's my former boss and he's my co-host on the Beyond Politics podcast. So if I don't agree with him, I'm going to hear about it on our shows. <laughs> I do think that's a good analogy. It's People can think about the New Hampshire primary and the experience of doing politics there. It is, you know, being in a sport really into like your football team. And what you'll find in most places is there are people who are super into the football team and people who aren't. So among people in New Hampshire who really love this stuff, there's kind of when the primaries in town, you know, it's like a it's like a Pokemon game. It's very common to hear people say like, oh, I've collected a Haley. I've collected a DeSantis. <laughs> I, I've even collected a Trump. Right. You know, people like to do this kind of thing. But it's not for everyone. And the major thing as a former campaign operative, as a campaign manager, is, you know, behind the scenes, I'm at pains to remind people that New Hampshire is still populated mostly by humans. And they behave in the same ways that, that people behave in, in elections everywhere else, West Virginia and everywhere else. They're all smarter than the average bear. They're definitely not smarter than your listeners. They're just some of them are a little bit more into this kind of thing. That's all. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. This is an interesting year, though, for New Hampshire and, well, for New Hampshire in particular. Uh, Joe Biden is not on the ticket. He's doing a writing campaign, I think. Although I see some polls that say Haley is getting close to or tying with Trump in New Hampshire. I mean, I've come to the, in my mind, foregone conclusion, which you two can comment on. I hope you will. That look, Trump is going to Trump is walking away to be the nominee, if not probably in every primary. Although I guess it's somewhat close there. My point is, this is a little bit unusual year, even for New Hampshire, right? Yeah, you know, it is an unusual uh, year, and I think if people. I mean, I know I'm shilling a little bit here for the Beyond Politics podcast. I do want people to check it out because we Gee, do. Gee, Matt, you've week. never done that before on this show. I've never done that before. <laughs> it's part of my job here, man. I, you know, look, if people check that out, and our last show, we do a weekly roundtable discussion where we have a Republican political consultant and good friend of ours uh, named Alicia Preston and a former U.S. congressman, Paul, and me, and we kind of dive into what's going on. And right after the Iowa caucuses, we all got on in our most recent show, and we were all incredulous. We could not believe the way the media was spinning the Iowa results, the, the words that they were using, dominant, a romp, you know, a crush for Trump. It was nothing of the kind. And I wrote this all up in an op-ed in Newsweek that very same day. This was a stunning epic failure. And my point here is that the media would have been at liberty to say, you know what? This was anemic. This was weak. This was unbelievable. For Donald Trump to only get half, half of the 7% of Iowa Republicans who could be motivated to show up is astonishing. And if the same thing had happened to Joe Biden, can you just imagine what the headlines would be? My point with all of this is you can see how that translates into your point, Howard. I agree with you. I think it is the longest of long shots at this point that Nikki Haley actually comes away with the Republican nomination. But the media right now is sort of driving and characterizing this race and very much making Trump appear stronger than he probably actually is. So in a way, it's not even really about whether Haley can win the nomination anymore. I think it's about 
what are we going to be able to tell about Trump's underlying weakness and the big primetime event, which is going to likely be Trump versus Biden? Paul, do you agree with that? I do. You know, I think one of the things about the primary in New Hampshire is things accelerate incredibly between Iowa and New Hampshire in terms of the political firmament and the way things can shift. We saw it in 2008 when Obama was running. And, you know, the polls now up here are going both ways. Some polls had Haley within, say, seven points of Trump before Iowa. Now it looks like the spread or the gap may be widening. Some people are saying that she's not going after him with enough uh, strength. So I I think that whatever happens here, I think there's going to be there's going to be some momentum for Haley, but it could be make or break, which is why New Hampshire this year for Republicans is, is pretty important. You know, it is amazing. You talk about, you know, from Iowa moving to New Hampshire. I was there, and I guess it was 2004, I think it was. It was the day after Howard Dean had the Dean scream. And it's amazing to think back, and that was enough to to dump that man's political uh, presidential campaign. And yet now, look at what we have with Donald Trump. I mean, the Dean scream seems quaint, to say the least. I'll say that was pretty mi- that was pretty mild, and of course misreported. But you know, Trump is a phenomenon. He soaks up he soaks up all the oxygen wherever he is. So it's pretty hard for a sane person like Nikki Haley to uh, to compete on the oxygen stage with a guy like Trump. And I mean, you know, she refused. It's an interesting move by Haley to refuse to debate unless Trump will debate. And Trump, of course, will never debate anybody because he's just trying to preserve his status as the as the big front as the big front runner. But I, I really do think we could see a surprise in New Hampshire. You just never know what's going to happen in the last couple of days. Let me take a break here for a newscast, and then we'll come back. I want to talk about what we should look for. We on the outside looking in should be looking for as the primary comes up and during the primary day and so on. Also, I'd like to get a, uh, a bigger picture view from both of you about where this whole presidential election is going, the inevitability that we seem to see with Donald Trump, and where does that possibly end? So let's talk a little bit more about New Hampshire when we come back, and then let's also take a big-picture look at uh, how this whole presidential campaign is going. We've got uh, former New Hampshire Congressman Paul Hodes with us and also our friend Matt uh, Robeson, uh, who frequently joins us as a political analyst, but also at one time was the chief of staff for a Congressman Hodes at uh, the time. This is I said this is a kind of weird uh, year, guys. Um, First of all, let's talk about this business of Joe Biden not being on the ballot. But he's now he's managed. He's working on a write-in campaign. Is that right? Yeah, there's a write-in Biden effort that's uh, going pretty strong. And you know, a lot of New Hampshire Democrats are upset that their primary, their official primary, has been taken away. Uh, I've been fielding lots of comments. Uh, I post did a little Facebook posting. Been fielding comments about people who are pretty lukewarm about uh, voting uh, for the president because uh, they want to send a message to the Democratic National Committee. My, my response has been pretty plain. Look, if you've got to choose between democracy or dictatorship, choose democracy. Let's send a message that we're, uh, we're going to stand up for uh, democracy. So, but it's a very 
interesting dynamic. The DNC called uh, the New Hampshire primary meaningless. Uh, the state attorney general uh, filed a lawsuit uh, telling him to cease and desist. So it's a bit of a mess. I suppose so. I've seen at least one poll. I'm looking at it here. This is the Hill. Matt, you're always big on the polls and stuff. That says Trump and Haley are tied in at least one New Hampshire poll. Uh, does that make, again, I keep thinking Trump's going to walk away with this. Is Haley making strong inroads there? It's really hard to tell. And you were saying right before the break that we might want to think about, okay, what can we look for interested observers? Like if you're watching the football game, you know, are you watching the linebacker? Are you watching the safety? You know, what are the signs? And we're going to cover this over the next few days, obviously a lot on Beyond Politics. We're going to have the guy who oversees the CNN poll uh, on the show tomorrow to kind of walk us through this. I think the number one thing that kind of gets to your question and that people should keep an eye on is what Paul was talking about a moment ago. A very high proportion of New Hampshire voters, unusually high, register as undeclared. It's sort of the New Hampshire version of saying you're an independent, about 40 percent. And what you see in all of these polls is the pollsters are making different assumptions about how many registered Republicans are going to show up versus how many undeclareds are going to show up, because undeclared voters can vote in either party's primary. They can show up and vote for the Democratic primary, or they can show show up and vote for the Republican primary. And the difference here is that Trump is ahead by about 30 points among registered Republicans, but Nikki Haley is ahead by about 30 points among undeclared. It could Mm, even be higher than that at this point. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. That's interesting. I, I, I see where you're going with this. Okay, that's interesting. Exactly. No, exactly. And so that's the key number to me. And you're going to see, you know, lots of polls have been coming out. Uh, there's a Suffolk University Boston Globe poll that shows Trump up by 16 points. There's a new poll from the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, friends of ours, that shows Trump up 14 points. There's the CNN poll that I just referred to that shows things maybe at a tie at this point. But, you know, those are big differences. The, the key factor is the pollsters' own assumptions, how many Republicans are going to show up, how many undeclareds are going to show up. And we just don't know. They're making guesses. They're making educated guesses. But we just don't know. So keep an eye on that factor. That's probably going to determine what happens on Tuesday. That is, I, I really I, I was aware of the system, but I really never thought about it in the way you've expressed it. Because, look, here's what we know, for better or ill. The hardcore Republican base is going for Trump. So if you're looking at just the Republican votes, Trump's going to be far ahead. As you said, I haven't seen the numbers, but you said 30 percent. But if you allow others to vote in in what amounts to the Republican primary, then that could skew things uh, very differently. So, Paul, does Nikki Haley have a shot here? Nikki Haley definitely has a shot. Independent voters seem to be breaking so strongly for her and aware of their strong feelings and what it could do to the Trump juggernaut. In addition, you've got, you know, it's not an insignificant number, about 4,000 Democrats, previously registered Democrats, who apparently have switched their allegiance to the undeclareds. And uh, folks think a lot of those folks are going to vote in the Republican primary with the avowed purpose of trying to stop uh, Donald Trump. 
So, you know, it, it, it could be a very surprising result by the time we're through Tuesday night. I'm still not, I'm still not sure I can be convinced that Donald Trump doesn't win. If he were not to win, that would be really pretty huge, I think. It would be. I, you know, one of the questions is if Haley gets really close, uh, what happens? Does it matter at all? Uh, Robeson will probably have an opinion on that. But if she gets really close, uh, does that help her enough to go to South Carolina and make her case there that maybe her home state ought to vote for her? Because she's got a tough road in South Carolina. You know, our current senator and soon-to-be former senator, uh, Joe Manchin, was up your way uh, a week or so ago. He's on his, what I call his Don Quixote tour, Searching for America. But one of the things Senator Manchin's been at least kicking around is that we ought to look at maybe revising to some extent the way we do elections. He's talked about ranked choice voting as an example. And I'm just thinking, again, in terms of what, Matt, you were talking about and Paul, about how things work in New Hampshire, where you do have the ability to declare as it's not independent. What did you call it? What's the third option they undeclared. have? Undeclared. Undeclared. You can be undeclared and therefore, you know, vote as you choose. It's another example of how if the system weren't so closed, something I've been thinking a lot about is how, in general, our system is closed. You know, the Democrats, the Republicans, and the system is closed. If the system wasn't as closed, we might have a more robust primary season, I guess. Look, as always, this is why I love appearing on your show, Howard, because you really put your finger on a really critical issue. I mean, this is sort of what I'm talking about. When, you know, as I wrote in that Newsweek piece, I say the media is shaping our perceptions and making reality, making political reality around us. I'll give you an example of one of those polling numbers that I like. I referred a moment ago to our friends at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, and they did a poll about a week ago and they showed a certain gap and they've showed both Haley. Now, now they've done a new poll that's out yesterday and they've showed the gap kind of expanding for Trump. And what's interesting is that Haley has grown by seven points. Those seven points mostly come from Chris Christie supporters who have now switched to her because he dropped out. For Trump, most of his gain in support has come from Iowa caucus results, people who who say they've changed how they're going to vote on the basis of the Iowa caucus. And so your point, Howard, is we have a very particular system, a closed system, as you put it, that really shapes the kinds of results we get. And this is a classic example. Yes, if we had a different system, Senator Manchin is right. If we had a different system, we would have different results and we'd see the results very differently. Again, you only had 8% of registered Republicans actually bother to show up in Iowa. Donald Trump won half of them. And yet the perception he stormed to victory point is that he stormed to victory. Well, that's not really true. He's actually astonishingly weak. His his performance was actually terrible. But the 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 system we choose is kind of shaping the outcome and the media's coverage of it is shaping the outcome. So I 100 percent agree with you. We in the media, unfortunately, and I throw myself in with this category, we tend to have a winner takes all attitude. Well, he came in number one. So but you don't look at the actual, as you say, well, only eight percent were there and he got half of the eight percent. What does that actually mean in terms of real people who support Trump? 
But we say, oh, he won. Look at that. He's, you know, he's on his way. And because my question to you guys both was going to be, i got to make this a final question, I think, if Trump is inevitable, and maybe he's not, what's going to happen here? Matt, you and I have talked about it before. Paul, maybe get your take on this. If we end up with Trump, more, obviously, Trump becoming the nominee, where does that leave us in this country? And then it comes Trump and Biden. I don't even want to talk about who's going to win, who's going to lose. But does Donald Trump, I mean, where does that leave us with an indicted perhaps even by the time of the election, convicted felon as a primary nominee. And yet, what, do we, what happens? Where do we go from there? Hey, remember the ancient Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. Well, yes, that's true. And we're certainly living in interesting times. Ultimately, what, you know, I mean, you've got to count on some kind of hope from the undeclareds and independents at large in this country who uh, choose between democracy and dictatorship. But, you know, you've got two old guys who young people who young people are turning away from in terms of the parties. It's a very fluid and dynamic time in American politics. And we, we don't have time to discuss all of the, the dynamics at play. Ultimately, look, I'm an optimistic idealist. I think in the end things will be okay. But what does it say about the United States that a significant number of people are favoring a guy who's got 91 felony indictments? It, yeah. It's crazy. Gentlemen, i got to move on. Matt, it's really good to have you with us. I'll maybe we'll get you back one of these days as well. We talked to Matt a lot, but be happy to have you come and join us as well. And maybe next week or I lose track of time. Next week, I guess, after the primary, we'll get a little analysis from one or both of you at the time. I do have to move on right now, but I thank both of you for being here. Matt, go ahead. Plug it. Plug it. Go ahead. You Beyond politics. I hope between the time that we now and the time we come back, people will subscribe to Beyond Politics. You can get much more of this kind of analysis from Paul Hodes. And me. <laughs> right. Guys, thank you very much. I appreciate it a lot. 